cozy crime. Interesting. Yes, it's it's weird how comforting watching murder can be sometimes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Boundless Book Club. From the Emirates Literature Foundation in Dubai to you, our listeners, happy last month of the year and what a year it has been. Luckily, the pandemic has not dampened the creative output of our favourite authors and today we are here to talk about the very best of 2021. I am Annabelle. I'm Andrea. And I am Mahlam. We'll be joined shortly by one of our favourite domestic noir authors, Annabelle Cantaria, who's just released her latest book, House of Whispers, under the pseudonym Anna Kent. We've also got some of our favorite 2021 titles to share. But first, Andrea, I think you're about to hit us with some statistical analysis. That is right. We have put our best team of data crunching elves on this job. And I now have, yes, (laughs) my team of elves. We have, um, I have here right in front of me, the list of the ultimate best books of 2021, which is aggregating the top lists of pretty much everyone from Vogue to the New York Times, The Guardian, and so on. So without further ado, this is the definitive winner of the best book of 2021 title. It is Clara and the Sun by Kasuo Ishiguro. Ooh, really? Yeah, there was barely a list on which this book didn't feature. So reviewers and critics and booksellers were all united, which is quite rare. Mm -hmm. It made top lists by Amazon and Waterstones, as well as Vogue, The Washington Post, The Guardian, and so on. Because it's a crossover. It's because it's a crossover book. So you'll get all of the, because like Vogue and The Guardian, I mean, they're going to choose slightly different things, but Clara and the Sun, it's technically it's science fiction, but it's Mm -hmm. written in this way that I think has been accessible to people who don't necessarily read science fiction. And it seems like a unisex book as well. Yeah. And also it's sold really well. So people like Waterstones would also be very pleased with it. So we have three titles sharing second place. The first one we've talked about a lot is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. But as we've talked about it so much on this podcast in previous episodes, I think we'll just skip past that onto the second one, which is Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen. I've heard a lot about this and I've seen that it looks like a doorstop. I think but that's all, all of I know. books are. Yeah. Mm. It's a story of interwoven perspectives. Most of it is, most of this doorstop is playing out on one single winter's day. It's a Midwestern family at a pivotal moment of moral crises, which seems very on brand for him, I think. Jonathan Franzen, I think, is an interesting an interesting one because he's by many people considered the great literary genius of our time, particularly in the US, but he's also really divisive. So mm. I'd like to know from anyone listening if you've read any of his books and if he would be on your top list so if you want to let us know what you think send us a message on social media or an email to comms at emiratesletfest.com please uh, I actually had someone whatsapp me about Jonathan Franzen the other day just to say he's read every single book that he's written and absolutely loves him and thinks that he's a genius so there's one person wow. in his court. Wow. <laughs> see that's it he's so divisive you get people 
like that. And then I think I feel like it's particularly a younger generation that are quite, quite vocal in their opposition. But yeah, love to hear what our listeners think. The third book in shared second place is very appropriately called Second Place. It's by Rachel Cusk. And it is a story of this lady, married lady, who's a a patron of the arts, lives fairly remotely in Scotland with her husband. And they have another house on the property, which is their second place, that they invite an artist to come and stay in. It sort of, it grapples with the redemptive and destructive powers of art, Mm -hmm. which very much like her other books, I think it sort of pushes the boundaries of what we might expect from a novel. So those are the top books. And then in third place, there are loads and loads of names that we know, like Sally Rooney, Cosa mm. Whitehead, Colm Tobin and John Lacar's posthumous novel, um, Silverview. Silverview. Yeah. So lots of really well-known names sort of at the bottom of the list of the best books of the year so it's a good list to be at the bottom of I'm not I'm not dissing them and that's that's yeah. my research but that's that's a that's the science science says these are the best books I'd like to know what you think what's been your best books of the year Annabelle what have you got for us okay well I read my best book of the year last night <laughs> um <laughs> Full disclosure, guys. Uh, But I think that it's telling that I read the best book of the year in one sitting last night when I was tired. That it was that good. I sat through the whole thing and I didn't get up till I was done. It's called The Last House on Needless Street by (sighs) Katriona Ward. Trigger warning for you, Achlam. This book involves- Has cats. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, brace yourselves. So The Last House on Needless Street. If you like to feel constant dread for 300 plus pages, then look no further because this is the book. It's horror mystery crime. It's about a lonely man called Ted who lives in the last house on Needless Street, hence the title, with his 12-year-old daughter, Lauren, and my favorite character, his devoutly Christian talking gay cat, Olivia, who says things like, bear in mind that Olivia is a black cat and she has very strong opinions. Let me tell you a couple of things about white cats. They are sneaky, they are mean, and they are below average intelligence. (laughs) I am aware that you are not supposed to say stuff like that, that it is not politically correct, but it's goddamn true and everyone knows. (laughs) You're making me want to read this book again. Uh, The cat character is amazing. And there are these moments because it's written so well and there is this balance between the narrators and the different styles that in this constant sense of dread you you have like moments that kind of release the pressure like that what makes you bite your nails when you read this is there is this unease throughout that ted might have something to do with the disappearance of children from the lake near needless street so there's Mm. this surrounding background mystery story a woman called d is another of the characters that were introduced to her sister went missing there over a decade ago and the stories intersect because she thinks that Ted does have something to do with it and she moves into the house next door to him nothing in this book is ever as it seems the story switches perspective between all these characters including the cat and you're made to question what and who you believe and why until the very last page and I felt like Captain Smug because I started listening to this on audio and I heard the first page and I'm like, I'm calling X, Y, and Z. 
And I was right, but I was only a quarter right. And then I didn't feel smug at all because all of my expectations were then subverted again and I got played. I was played. Um, But I liked it. I like being played. (laughs) I like the way you're misdirected, but what it does really well is that it doesn't actually feed you deliberate wrong information the way some novels do. Mm -hmm. You don't feel like it's, you know, it's done a really good job of it. Yeah, you don't ever feel shortchanged. You I suppose played is the wrong word because you don't feel like you've been played. You feel like you've been given the right story and you just haven't seen it and it's just been revealed to you. And the reason I think that I I love it so much is that it is a little bit of everything. And in an interview, she said that she is trying to do something gothic in this. She says, one of my great loves is the gothic, the fragmented narrative. The reader plays detective the whole time trying to piece together what is reliable and what is not. But in 2010, Philip Pullman, I don't know if you remember this, he did this opinion piece on first person versus omniscient narrator narrative. And he's very opinionated about the fact that people are using the first tense, uh, first person present tense far too often. And I thought it was interesting in this context because I'm, I'm wondering what you think about this and whether or not it depends on the genre. He says that it's akin to using the handheld camera trope in film too often. He says that it's an abdication of narrative responsibility and the storyteller in film or novel should take charge of the story and not feel shifty about it. Say what happened and let the reader know when it happened and what caused it and what the consequences were. Tell me where the characters were, who else was present. And while you're at it, I'd like to know what they looked like and whether it was raining. I think that's a very specific thing to him. And I think when you read Philip Pullman, you just you you feel like you're in good safe pair of hands right you open a story you feel like you're going to be okay this this story is going to be told in a way that you're going to understand and relate to whereas I think what Catriona has done is obviously something completely unique and I don't think that what he says about first person applies in this scenario at all so I think they're both right in their own way and you can't you can't tell this story the way Philip wants stories to be told because part of the reason is that it's supposed to feel destabilizing you're supposed to not feel like you're in safe hands because otherwise it doesn't really work no and she says first person narrators for me a much more realistic way of presenting the world than an omniscient godlike creator creator you don't know everything about everyone you just don't your perceptions change every instant and quite often no two people remember the same event the same way so that unreliability is incredibly lifelike <laughs> i think that's such a great choice for for this episode annabelle Really pleased that you brought that one. Thanks. I'm glad too. I'm glad. <laughs> That's been... all I had. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your best book of the year, Aklam? So I have to say my favorite book of 2021 is the popular choice, Clara and the Sun. <laughs> and it's interesting you're talking about telling a story in first person and obviously in Clara and the Sun. I know you guys spoke about this a couple of episodes ago, so I won't go too much into detail, but you know, that story is also told in first person by the AF or artificial friend, uh, which is Clara. So this this is like a story somewhere far in the future in the US. And then Clara is created as 
an AI robot friend for teenagers so that they don't feel lonely. And it's the, the reason why I like it so much is because, like you said earlier, Annabelle, it is like cross genre, like most of Ishiguro's work. Um, and, and it was initially intended to be a children's book. And then he he kind of spoke, have, had a conversation with his daughter and she said, no, no, children aren't going <laughs> to aren't going to like this. So he kind of was like, OK, but I'm invested now. And he turned it into something else. So that's why I think it's very accessible in, in the language. And it's interesting because I have interacted with a couple of stories where, you know, this AI device or, or companion uh, is very human-like. But this is the first time that I guess there's like a bit of vulnerability also in this artificial friend. You know, you see that they're actually, you know, Clara's a little bit naive in the beginning and then she's learning through life just like humans do. And then the way that Clara evolves is um, also very humanly in that she becomes protective of her person and is also asking for the sun because she's um, solar powered. And then she asks for the sun for nourishment for her and for her person. And so that was very human. Like, and that was the first time I actually was able to connect and see the possibility in this happening successfully in the future. The other thing that really, really resonates with me about this story is this crazy idea that, you know, how we, we love people so much and we want to immortalize them, but people die. And this possibility of an artificial friend or an AI device learning so much about a person we love in that if, if they pass away, this device kind of turns into them and has the potential to do everything like they do if they watch them closely enough. And is that possible? I don't know, but it just seems like a crazy possibility and something that I feel is not far off for human beings to really want to do or try when because when, we find it so hard to detach from, from those we love the most in the world. But at the same time, you know, it's that ethical question of staying human versus <laughs> immortalizing too many things and just because we can doesn't mean we should right oh. and what does that do to i mean that's already happening because if you think about our data and how our data lives on forever there's no deleting it once it's on a cloud somewhere <laughs> or online you know you're, we're kind of immortalizing st our stories our existence in that way because um, to the world, a lot of the times, our existence is what's online. But also, what I what I love about the Shiguros, he's he's made this like robot almost tell the story from from her perspective. It's a female. It allows you to explore so many issues from a third, like from an outsider perspective, which is who's learning all these things for the very first time, almost like, you know, when, when a child is learning about the world by interacting with it for the very first time, but this is even more, even more so. And there's, you know, you kind of forgive it for asking whatever question it wants, because I mean, we don't have much expectations from an AI, right? A, a figure or this robot can say whatever it wants and it's okay. So yeah, I'd have to say that was my 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 number one of 2021 i'm listening to um how 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 much of these hills are gold uh by c pam zhang 
it's her writing is incredible it's it's you know when I'm, I'm listening to it on audio and sometimes I feel like I go into a trance just because it's like it's like very it's like hypnotizing almost the way that she writes and the sentences that lead lead one to another and and sometimes I, I find myself just like I'm like wait hold on where am I <laughs> what just happened I feel lost in it all <laughs> that must be really way. well narrated for that to have that effect yeah it really is I want to just mention a book that didn't make all the lists but that is a phenomenon I'd have to say which is Richard Osman's second book The Man Who Died Twice which mm. is a standalone but in the same world as a Thursday murder club it's and it's just for this time of year I feel like it's wonderful it's cozy crime at its best it's set in this really rather nice retirement village in England we've got this great cast of amateur sleuths and at the heart of the group we've got Elizabeth who's a rather spry 70 something who's a former intelligence agent And the story begins when her ex-husband, who is supposed to be dead, who's another secret agent, he shows up asking for help because on the job he'd broken into the home of a criminal banker or slash money man and 20 million pounds worth of diamonds went missing, which the this banker is accusing him of. And saying that this isn't going to end well for you unless those diamonds are returned because they belong to these mobsters from New York and cartel members from Colombia. She brings then all her friends from the retirement village into it. And it's a really lovely kind of fun, cozy crime. But also there's some really sad and real, just really very, very real moments where you feel the the gravity of aging as well so it's got like it's got heart and mm. it feels Christmassy so I have to I have to say that's lovely it's funny how how normally you say the term cozy crime and to me it's like the weirdest thing ever <laughs> <laughs> like there's nothing cozy about crime to me and you're like it's very Christmassy too <laughs> it's so weird yeah. isn't it it's, it's I think so it's because- strange to me it must, it's, has to have something to do with growing up watching like all the Agatha Christie movies and the TV yeah. shows and then Midsummer Murders. And this just kind of fits into that whole time off of school, sitting at home, it's cold outside, so you don't go out and you just watch this stuff on TV. Do you know what it is as well? When you say cozy crime, a lot of the cozy crime stories are quite literally locked room mysteries. So there is this sense of being enveloped in the story because all the characters, they're locked in. It has to be one of them. So it kind of, the story envelops you in that sense as well. And it's cozy claustrophobia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to sell it. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it in my own head. Yeah. Cozy crime. Interesting. Yes, it's, it's weird how comforting watching murder can be sometimes. Are there any other books that you'd like to mention from 2021 that, should be mentioned at this point i'm glad you mentioned osman because i feel like even though he's not on the list of let's say these more elevated books for whatever reason he has been consistently a bestseller all year and he's had he's had a real moment i feel like he'd win the popularity contest if it was voted for by the man on the street as it were if if there was a man on the street 
just some random guy. Yeah. Should we bring in Annabelle Cantaria, who has got a new book out that's also really wonderful that came out this year that people should be aware of? We are now joined by Queen of the Domestic Noir, Annabelle Cantaria. She's the author of many books. I remember reading The One That Got Away, which is absolutely brilliant. And her latest, The House of Whispers, is written under the pseudonym Anna Kent. Welcome, Annabelle. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. We've been wanting for you to come on the podcast for a long time. So I'm really glad that you could join us today. And we're talking specifically today about books that were published in 2021, such as your latest book. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that? It's a it's a dark thriller, a sort of domestic noir type thing. It's about two ex-university friends. They were best friends at university. And they haven't seen each other for four years. Um, One of them has been traveling in Australia and she gets back in touch with the other one and says, can I come and stay with you? And and the book sort of opens when when the second one receives the email. And you can see that she's very scared about letting this girl come and stay with her. But she also feels that she can't say no. So they, they, you know, they do end up staying together in a house. Uh, the husband of the one whose house it is goes away traveling and so it's just the two of them in the house which should be amazing catching up on the you know old memories but we get the sense that something terrible happened or something very dark happened at university and we don't know what it is but when Grace who is the one visiting uh, when she's there she's holding something she holds something over Abby and Abby feels like she owes her something and so there's a power play between these two friends going on and it gets darker and darker and darker as the story goes on um, until it, it it reaches an end, which everybody is saying is really chilling. Um, and I can't really say too much more without giving away, you know, the whole premise of the plot. So just expect dark, chilling, nail biting, yeah. a creepy gothic house that is almost a character in itself. And, and yeah, lots of chills and twists and turns. Having read this book, I find it quite difficult because I have lots of questions I'd want to ask you, but I don't feel like I can without giving things away. <laughs> so I do, I would like to ask how you created the characters, if you had any people that you were modeling them on or if they were just drawn from a very, very dark imagination. <laughs> I think the whole idea for the plot came about from a news story that I read. Um, and it really stayed with me. It was very, very emotionally disturbing and it stayed with me. And I thought I could try and write some fiction about that kind of thing. I can't say what it is without giving away the ending. And so once I had that plot in mind, the characters start to come to mind and I decided one of them was going to be an artist. She's the one whose house it is and she paints up in her attic. And once I sort of started thinking about the kind of art that she would be painting, then I decided that she would be a bit agoraphobic. And and so the character starts to form very organically almost. Um, In terms of Grace, who's the one who comes to visit, I did have a few people in mind. I think most authors um, piece together bits and pieces from people they've met and from, you know, friends and ex-friends and and maybe even celebrities and actors and actresses. You just piece bits together to come up with a whole person, a bit like a Frankenstein's. Um, monster (laughs) and Grace is a bit of a monster to be fair (laughs) yes are you the kind of person I don't know if you write in coffee shops and things or if you're purely an at-home writer I am purely an at-home writer 
if I go to a coffee shop, I get too distracted. I mean, sometimes I have to, something might be going on at home and I have to go out, but I find that my writing is not very good quality and there's a deepness of thinking that doesn't happen in a coffee shop. It's all very superficial. So I try not to. I know lots of people do though. I just, it's, I can't. Because <laughs> I was just wondering if people watching as part of your research process and if you take actual dialogue that you've heard and it ends up in your books. No, I've never done that. Never. But I have, I have had pieces of dialogue of things that have been said to me that have stuck in my head because they were particularly cruel or something. <laughs> oh but in terms, of, um, in terms of the characters, it's a very toxic friendship between Abby and Grace. I think I can say that. And I think all of us women have been in a toxic friendship at some point in our lives, maybe as long ago as back at school. But um, I've had toxic friends and it's, it was quite easy to draw on the emotions that remembering those friendships um, brought up. And then, then the dialogue would come into my head because I would be picturing how it felt to be that person on the end, receiving end of the harsh words. Um, mm. So, yeah, in a way, you draw on everything in your life. But for me, I don't sit there consciously and try and copy dialogue from people in coffee shops. <laughs> So you mentioned that you got the inspiration for this from a news article. And one of the great things about this genre is that there's always a really good, I think, if not conceit, there's a good, like, what if question. So immediately when you're telling us about the House of Whispers, we're immediately thinking, oh my goodness, you know, if, if I hadn't seen someone for that long and they came to stay with me like you can immediately think okay what how would that play out if it were me do you does it take a while do you just do you wait for that sort of big what if question to come or are you actively are you actively looking through newspapers for the seedy parts of society <laughs> it's a constant search for ideas for me yes I am actively always reading the quirky news stories and the really, the, I think it's The Observer has a, the most amazing section in it of really weird and bizarre stories. <laughs> and so I'm always trawling through those. But also, this is where people do come in handy, actually. When you have coffee with your friends, they'll always say, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what happened. And really weird things happen in, in real life to real people. Um, and I, my writer's brain is always ticking over for ideas, definitely. I get yeah inspired by friends and people around me and just the weird stories they tell me once people know you're a writer they always say to you oh gosh you know you've got to write a book about this this that. and so they, people bring you ideas it's great <laughs> so slightly related to that we know that one of your main characters is an artist but she's also fairly blocked when we first meet her she's doing sort of little bits but nothing serious is that something that you is that a position you've been in um in terms of writing yeah because I can't draw at all. I'm, I'm so not an artist. And, and just to go off your point a little bit, I really loved writing the part of an artist because I had to do so much research about how you actually do these big paintings that she's doing in the book. And I had to picture them in my mind's eye. And although I can't draw, I got all the creative joy out of creating these 10 portraits that she's drawing because I had to really visualize them in order to write about them. Um, so they don't exist. They haven't been painted, but I, I got that creative kick from doing it. Um, in terms of writing, do I get blocked? Yes, it, it happens. And you just have to push on through. I just try and push through. Go and do something else. Go shopping, go horse riding in the desert. Do something. Let your mind do something else. And usually it resolves itself somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> if it doesn't, you... you write something and it's bad. And then you you have to cross it out the next day and start again. <laughs> because I thought, I thought it was really uh, lovely and felt very credible that you can be this great artist, but all you're doing day to day is do animal portraits. 
because you're not yeah. you're not getting cool. anything you're not inspired so and Abby I, Abby and she oh sorry sorry you carry on no sorry I, I just wanted to say I felt like that that felt so real and I wondered if that's actually an experience that you you just kind of changed the medium but it was your experience I think so I think all these kind of things you draw on the not the actual experience because obviously I've not been an artist but you draw on the emotion so I think some some one once gave me some advice about writing a book, which was to keep an emotions diary. So whenever you experience big emotions about anything, just make notes on how it felt so that when you're writing, you can go back to those intense, immediate, in the moment feelings and, and put them into the book. So you can attribute them to another event that's happening that's fiction. And that's really good advice, actually. So yes, it's, it's a drawing on emotion. And of course, I've been stuck. I used to be a journalist. I used to have to file three stories a week for the Telegraph in the UK. And I was always struggling with that because there was a deadline you know a daily deadline and yeah that feeling of being blocked and everything you're doing is just not good enough and you know it's not right and and just the panic that comes with it is very very bad and and Abby has been given a gallery showing but she's got nothing painted she has nothing on canvas and all she's painting is these dog portraits and cat portraits bless her heart um and she knows that she's got a deadline to produce some you know a whole range of masterpieces and, and sh yeah the panic definitely I'm familiar with it from, <laughs> from writing I'm not really I mean I feel like she's created the masterpieces I think it should just be a gallery showing what's wrong with a gallery showing of cat and dog pictures I'm not <laughs> not understanding that's the that's sequel art. <laughs> we've been talking about some of the best books of 2021 before you joined us I'd like to know what your favorite book this year has been this is a really good question because when you put it to me before this podcast I I've read so much this year I've read more this year than I've read in about 10 years and I was so excited to do it and then I realized that most of the books I've read weren't published in 2021 and because by the time you know they filter to Dubai or you wait for the paperback to come out or blah 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 you know they're old then and so I'm probably a year behind where I should be in terms of reading so my my pool of books to pull from was not that big ones that were published in 2021 and I have picked a light-hearted read, which is also about female friendship. And it's called Worst Idea Ever by Jane Fallon, who is the wife of Ricky Gervais and obviously a, a very well-acclaimed novelist in her own right. And it's kind of light-hearted, but it's about female friendship. And it's and all the she captures all the nuances of jealousy and rivalry, but trying to do the right thing by your friend, you know, deeply loving your friend, but also being a little bit jealous of them. Just to tell you a little bit about the plot, it's it's uh, the tagline is what's a white lie between friends and actually I'm just realizing the similarity here it's about two artists um they go, I read the whole book and didn't realize that they uh they go to university together and then one of them becomes more successful after university she creates a little children's character that takes off massively and she becomes a household name with a series of these children's books that take her like 11 or 12 brush strokes to create so she but she, she becomes really rich off doing it. And the other one doesn't have so much success. And she goes to work in a publishing house and it's a perfectly respectable job. But she's a little bit jealous of the other one and she wants to create her own artwork. And so she, which, which she does, but it's very niche. And she sets up an Etsy shop to sell her own artwork, but nobody is biting. So her best friend, the successful one, creates a fake online persona to become a customer of the Etsy shop. Like this is the little white lie but it all spirals out of control because the one who has set up the Etsy shop starts confiding 
in the online woman thinking that, you know, thinking she's just a random online person who she can talk to. They start chatting. She doesn't realize it's her best friend. So her best friend finds out all this stuff about her and it all, it just spirals out of control. It's, it's, it's funny. It's sharp. It's witty. It captures humanity at its best and at its worst. It's, it's a fantastic read. That's great. I can't wait to read that next to the tree. (laughs) Annabelle, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and we can't wait to see you at the festival in February. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. We will be back in 2022 with more amazing books. But until then, I guess it's a happy new year. Happy new year. Not a question mark. <laughs>